0: What's guys? up, Bible buds? Hey, what's happening?
1: You hurt your hands with the clap this time.
0: Yeah, I really smacked them together.
1: That sounds a lot dirtier than it really was. The <laughs> clap, as in, we have to clap. To yeah, no, no, no. The, no. It's the just, microphones. Yeah. Just cluing in the the rest of the world. I, um, I
0: appreciate that. All
1: right. Uh, I'm pretty excited for this for this episode for this hang. Um, we got we got Luke. Neil on the line. Luke, thanks for uh, thanks for taking the time to do this and for picking a um, really, really intense part of the Bible for me to read today. <laughs> I yep. was telling Dan I almost had like a panic attack so I decided to just go ahead and read all of Revelations. And in the first, like, nine chapters, I was just like, oh, man, I'm spiraling. I got to put this thing down for a second.
2: <laughs> and it's so timely right now, of course. Yeah, right? for sure. <laughs> no, I'm glad you have me. Thanks for the invite. It's really cool to be here.
0: Yeah. Hell yeah. Just so, uh, so the listeners have some some background, Andrew and I met Luke through the, uh, the Portland music scene. And uh, Luke used to host this radio show called Sounds of PDX on Portland Radio Project, and He's currently spending a lot of time doing a lot of producing and, and composing work and working with a lot of great local artists out of Portland and and uh, in other places as well. So uh, it's cool that we have the opportunity to, to jump into a completely different world with you here and mm-hmm. uh, talk something aside from music.
2: Yeah, for real. I mean, we, I love talking music and shop and pop culture, but this is a... It's a topic I actually haven't messed around with in years, but I grew up in an extremely religious family, so it's right up my alley. Cool. Hell yeah.
1: Well, yeah, we're excited to uh, to get into it. I'm definitely excited to hear a little bit more about your upbringing and sort of what, how you ended up where you are now, wherever you are now with faith and religion and spirituality and whatnot. But before we do that, um, sort of, and this should be sort of, uh, if you grew up in a religious family, Luke, you should be... Um, privy to this, but Dan and I sort of like to do an, uh, a good old like, "How was your week?" Like you, like if it was a real Bible study. So we just we just start with that. Um, and since Dan is smoking a joint right now, I'll go first. Um, but yeah, so my week was. Um, I feel like I'm living in goddamn Groundhog Day. You know, it's all the same. I'm Bill Murray, and I guess the only way that I get out of this is by helping everyone instead of you know farting around my house um, i thought
0: you were gonna say that you're ned ryerson
1: <laughs> Oh, oh ned. maybe i don't know man i'm probably not bill murray i'm probably some just garbage side character <laughs> um the coronavirus is bill murray in this situation yeah <laughs> um yeah so i don't know the the week has been it was fine um <clears throat> just trying to uh yeah, just, you know, sometimes I'm, I'm doing all right with the whole quarantine thing, and sometimes I'm just like trying to get my bearings on it, but I'm pretty excited. I got uh, I got some stuff to get my garden going. Um, last year, I did it at the beginning of June, which is far too late. Um, I don't really have much of a green thumb. I have no idea what I'm doing, but I thought, hey, why not try to grow some vegetables and some lettuces, um, so I'm excited for that, and uh yeah. And I hurt my foot. So like I've oh. been walking so much and all of a sudden on Monday, my foot was just like, yeah, no, we're not doing walking anymore. Like I couldn't put weight on it. So Tuesday I literally just like laid around all day and, uh, yeah, I've just been kind of mostly big chilling. I was, I was working from my bed today until about eleven thirty AM. Um, and yeah, I guess the highlight of my day was the madness that is Fred Meyer on Burnside. I had to go pick up a prescription, and I like sh- I knew I should have changed the location, but it was kind of too late. And there's just motherfuckers in that Fred Meyer, no mask, no anything, just charging right at you, and you're like, yeah, is that upsetting? on? Like you can't even keep some distance. You're just it's it's a lot. So yeah, um, yeah, y'all, you got to wear the mask because it it protects others. So you look like an extra dick if you're not wearing one, because it's not even about you. It's about protecting other people. And if you're not going to wear a mask, at least just, like, give people some space. This lady literally backed me into a corner today, in Fred Meyer, and, like, breathed right in my face. And I was like, what are you doing? Also, maybe avoid Fred Meyer on Burnside. That would be my, <laughs> that's my hot take. And uh, I would maybe recommend that, regardless of a global pandemic. Um, you might just want to steer clear of that. So yeah. which, that was my
2: week. This, the stadium Fred Meyer or said
1: yeah stadium fred meyer yeah that's a rough one yeah go ahead and steer clear yeah
0: dude i don't know man i just feel like you're kind of an asshole if you're not wearing a mask at this point like i'm definitely judging you if i'm inside yeah yeah. if i'm inside of a store with you and you're not wearing any facial protection then uh i'm I'm probably uh i'm I'm,
1: you're careless
0: yeah i mean i'm you're careless and sloppy I don't, and it shows. I don't see that it being that big of a deal if you're just like walking around outside. But no,
1: no. You know. But if you're in, if you're in a store, for the sake of the workers there and the other patrons, you've got to be wearing a mask.
0: Yeah, I don't yeah, know, man.
1: This whole entire
2: thing is an exercise in empathy.
1: Yeah, for sure. You're yeah. not
2: doing it for you. You're doing it for other people, and the people who are saying "fuck you" to all that. It's like, man, this is you need to be able to broaden your circle of empathy. I mean, also that's-
1: like how hard is it to just put on the mat? Like just a bandana, something yeah. it's really, yeah. it's not hard. I have one in my car and I just like pop that bad boy on if I'm going into the grocery store or whatever. And it's not that big of a deal though. Today when I was walking around Fred Meyer, I, I have have allergies pretty bad as lots do in Portland. Um, and I just like, I was at the point of the day where I was having some really gnarly like nasal drip and I need. I was wearing my mask, and I needed to cough so bad. And I was just like, I can't. I can't do it. It's gonna freak someone out. I'm not. I won't do it. And I just walked around for like a solid four minutes, like needing to have the gnarliest mucus cough. Like, and and I had to wait until I got back to my car to do it. So, yeah. What a week, right? <laughs> Holy hell. Uh,
0: what's let's yeah. What's going on over there at at uh. Your home base of Track 11 Studios, Luke?
2: You know, pretty uh, fortunate. I've got some work to work on, so that's kind of continuous. I've been able to, um, I've got a friend in Arizona that's a music lover. I've been planning uh, listening parties with him every week. We do this, you know, we'll just hop on FaceTime or whatever and share a Spotify playlist and go through. And uh, so I did that last night with my buddy Ben. You know, I'm with Andrew. It's like day to day there's so many similarities. I'm at a point now where I'm like relying on either my little medicine caddy or my phone to tell me what day it is. It's like
1: <laughs> for it's sure. Just
2: man. Oh yeah. Uh, but yeah, every every day's I try to establish a routine during all this. So meditation's been important for me recently and uh I'm quarantined here with my wife, and we get along great. So I have no complaints about my. Still married?
1: Yeah, uh, it'll be it's great. Twenty years in November. God damn. Cool. Yeah, it's gonna be. A, there's gonna be quite a few divorces after this whole thing. <laughs> it's yeah, gonna be a
0: lot of divorces for sure. If you're like quarantined right now with your significant other, I feel like this is where you really figure out if you're meant to be together or if you can tolerate yeah. each other to a new level Man,
1: dan yeah. and i are both in like new relationships and we're not necessarily quarantined with our partners but you know spending a lot of time with them but yeah i find that like i'm so grateful that i'm just able we're able to just do like nothing on the weekends no plan no agenda it's just like yeah we're gonna probably eat some food go for a walk watch some tv listen to music read books like just whatever we're feeling and it hasn't been a problem, hasn't been weird. So that's cool. Yeah.
2: Yeah, that's the best situation. Someone had posted online, they're like, I don't see a lot of the oh my dearest and my sweetheart's the best companion ever post. Like yeah, there's a lot of people quietly suffering
0: right now. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, man. It's uh it's an interesting time.
1: Well, how about you, Daniel? Uh How's you know everything's shaking over there. I'm
0: cruising, baby. I'm cruising. Uh Work is just this thing of it's still kind of unpredictable, and being short staffed every day just kind of means that you just kind of take it one day at a, at a time. As cliche as that is, it's kind of this catch up game every day. And when you get done, Man. you walk out of there and you're like, oh, we made it through another day. And tomorrow we get to try to play catch up all day again. And, uh, dude, I
1: thought you were going to say something totally different when you were like, um, <laughs> when you were like, you know, we're short staffed, so you just gotta sort of take it. And you said one day at a time, and I thought you were just gonna be like, you just were just taking it up the ass. Yeah, day. pretty much. You just gotta no, bend no, over just, and just take it. Yeah, <laughs>
0: that's honestly like I feel like that's pretty much my mentality at work too. I'm I'm usually pretty just shut your
1: mouth and take it. Yeah, I'm pretty pretty
0: quiet, and uh, yeah, I think even to a degree where it can irritate my boss. How? how it doesn't phase me that much. And I'm just very, I just internalize everything and just, yeah, there's just like no reason to cause a ruckus about it. So I just kind of shut the fuck up. I put my, my headphones in every day, strap into some podcasts and, uh, then the day is over, you know, I'm just bacon cake. Yeah. Groovy. Um, other than that, it's, you know, all is, All is fine. I have a place to go every day for work so i th- I feel like that that helps a bit, but it's uh yeah, I'm bugging out not doing doing some things that's for sure i'm I'm ready to uh
1: what uh not have this same what, routine
0: this same routine every day pretty much is is getting a little uh is that
1: your much. is that your prayer request
0: yes, my prayer request is, is, is uh if we could go ahead and uh just get everybody healthy so we can go start doing fun shit again um or if you j- cool. if there's just like I don't know some sort of stipulation open where I can just play hockey for the, again that'd be cool <laughs> if we could just open up the ice rinks the rest of you can uh, let's deal with let's it. pray
1: for hockey for Dan I like that <laughs> um, yeah that's a good it's very specific and like Daniel, totally unlikely but Daniel needs his hockey it. so cool but yeah that's what's good baby sweet I'm, well uh, Luke um. The way that we normally do this is, uh, you know, you can sort of talk about whatever you want related to your story with religion and growing up with it. And, um, yeah, you can be as as brief or um, not brief. You know, i was trying to think of a a word that's the opposite of verbose. Is that? Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. So you can be as brief or verbose as you want. And, uh, yeah, I'm sure Dan and I will maybe have some questions, but... Um, no pressure to share anything that you're not comfortable with or whatever. Uh, and then once we do that, we can we can talk a little bit about the good word. <laughs> yeah,
2: I, I'm down. Uh, cool. First of all, can I give can I give shout outs to a local dispensary?
0: Yeah, absolutely. This is yeah, yeah. this is Bible buzz. Free plugs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: perfect. Uh, I'm enjoying some uh, King Bubba Indica from the fine folks at Medi Green, who were not only open during uh, this time. Thank God I live in Oregon, and uh, but they had some great specials. This was a fifty dollar an ounce special they had for four twenty. So uh, tip Good of the cap Lord. to them. Hell yeah, yeah. That,
0: that's the spot right on the other side of the Ross Island Bridge.
2: Exactly, it's right there by the uh, the Little Devil Strip, strip Club. Them?
1: Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Lucky Devil. Lucky
0: yeah, Devil. Lucky Devil. Thank they're you. the ones that started that boober service. Yeah. That's right. Where right. They're they they're uh, have too. strippers deliver the uh, the food yeah brilliant yep.
2: yeah it's pretty great yep so shout out to them and enjoying i figure i'd keep it you know a nice nice body high not too heady with a crazy sativa you know i <laughs> want to keep my wits about myself uh no uh my religious history's pretty simple i grew up in uh eastern arizona in uh, a mormon family my mom's family was a direct descendant of joseph smith so i'm of the no fucking shit yeah (laughs) so i'm I'm, (laughs) wow dude
1: (laughs) we got royalty on the podcast baby (laughs) i mean joseph smith was like you know we're talking only a few generations then for your mom you know it's not like we're talking like 10 generations we're talking like five or less probably right
2: yeah so the the town i grew up in was settled by my great great grandfather and he was his sister was married to Joseph Smith, and they were some of the first pioneers who came down from Utah and then into eastern Arizona. Whoa, sure!
1: So, uh, right out of the gate, I have a couple questions. Sure, um, one is I, I would love to hear more about, and, and actually, we'll get into this in a second, I guess. And they're sort of tied together, but the I guess the first piece would be like, I I grew up with a handful of Mormon friends. And I think people for all of the like, you know, wacky shit that people think Mormons believe or think about Mormonism or whatever. And there certainly is some wacky shit, but not all of it is super crazy. Mm -hmm. You know, I think people unanimously are like, but they're super nice. They're all (laughs) super and like genuinely nice, not like fake nice, like really nice, kind people. Um, and that's been my experience with literally like every single Mormon I've ever met, whether they used to be Mormon or if they were raised Mormon, they are like really nice, kind people. It's one of the few religions I can think of where I'm just like, man, that's so, and obviously there are outliers, but that's my personal experience. So I'm curious what you, um, what you think of that phenomena. And I also am th- curious, sort of like, if you could, I guess, just give us like your hot take on like what the general what the general vibe was like growing up mormon because it's obviously not all just like crazy underwear and don't drink <laughs> right. caffeine yeah. like there's other there's other aspects to it and there has to be something that's feeding this like immense wholesomeness in that community yeah
2: i think um and you're right even if i've moved away from the church or been in situations um i've had people ask me like are you mormon and You know, it's weird because you don't know where it's coming from because I grew up a lot being um, defensive about the church because there was a lot of scrutiny where I grew up. And uh, so, yeah, but it's true. People are—I just think it's that there's a— A, there's a structure in the church. So every week as a kid, you know what you're going to be doing, whether it's like the—when you become 12, you go to the mutual program, and everybody else there is— you know, your age, and they go to church with you, and there's this community where uh, there's a silent confidence. And so I think the church, you pair that with uh, just the amount of service that they put into you as someone growing up in the church. Like, Every month they have you do some sort of service project through the church, and through me it was through the Boy Scouts. So there's different ways to do these things. So there's Mm -hmm. multiple ways throughout the week that you're serving the church, and that translates into um, members of the church truly grow up believing that they have the absolute truth of the gospel. And there's something that is um, installed in us, that not to be braggadocious about it, but it gives you a quiet confidence. So it's kind of like it it removes a, a certain layer of, um, judgment. It is what it did for me as a kid. Um, my dad was not an active member of the church, but he was Christian. He was raised in the South. And my obviously my mom's side of the family is where the Mormon stuff comes from. But they were both on the same page, like treat people with kindness, treat people who are disadvantaged as you'd want to be treated. If you see something wrong, say something, stand up. So that's definitely a, a Mormon and a Mormon family thing. So that would be my guess as to where kind of that mm-hmm. quiet kindness comes from. But it, sure. you're right. I mean, it's a genuine thing. They'll, they'll stick up for you and help you out. I'm no longer obviously a member of the church, but my uh, sister said that the church notified everyone during this coronavirus and said, member or not, if you need help from the Bishop's storehouse, let us know. We'll bring food to your house. So sure. they're a congruent church. And they—they also a very wealthy church. Oh, I think the second most wealthy right now.
1: Yeah, they're like there's a fuck ton of money at the like, you know, Utah LDS headquarters. Um, Yeah, yeah. That's part of part of being Mormon too is like a pretty strict tithing, right? Like it's like a ten percent across the board. Everyone's doing it. Yep. And yeah, there's a lot of very successful uh, you know, in terms of finances, successful Mormons and, and yeah, they're paying out that that tithing church tax, whatever you want to call it. And uh, yeah, a church has you know, they won't they don't have to disclose it, but it's apparent for sure.
2: Well they're a hundred percent volunteer based for the most part. I mean there's some administrative folks and some teachers in the church that teach like seminary and stuff that that get paid, but every position is free and clear. So that was
1: another so thing. All the elders that, and stuff?
2: Uh, bishops, everybody. Um, yeah. But not like the, the prophet of the church and the 12 apostles and stuff. They're paid to travel and all that stuff. But the church is very smart. They're very strategic. If anyone is listening to this and you're still in the Mormon church, I want you to ask yourself through your childhood up until now, if you've ever known a bishop or stake president who wasn't wealthy. And they do that very much on purpose, that they put people in position of power that are wealthy, so they can say, "Look, brother, so and so's paid his tithing, and he's a stake president." And you know, there's there's things like that that sure. happen. But it's an incentive, very much. They keep the people with who it. are wealthy up front, for sure.
1: Yeah, uh, it's interesting, and and part of something else that's interesting about Mormonism is this. Um, uh, and I'm curious with what your experience is with it, but I know that there's sort of this emphasis on anyone can anyone can prophesy, right? Anyone can receive some kind of prophecy from the Lord, um, just as Joseph Smith did. And, and it seems like there's almost like, and there's, there's a bit of like encouragement that you should strive after that. And that's obviously led to some problems. I, I know that because I read this book under the banner of heaven. I'm sure you're probably familiar with it, Yeah, which is the story of, you know, some not so, um, mentally well brothers who are prophets, their prophecy is that they are need to like kill their families. Um, and they do that because they felt called by God, but it's part of the culture. Um, uh, this prophecy thing. And I'm just like curious what your, what your, uh, experience was with that growing up. Yeah.
2: I think that's also part of the hook growing up is there's a lot of mysticism in the church. And as a kid, it was very cool to me to think, like, there was actual magic. You know what I mean? There are things that we could manipulate. And being born in 79 and obsessed with Star Wars, there was a lot of similarities drawn between the priesthood in the church and the force. And the sure. church openly taught that. Like, Yoda's quoted in, like, church magazines and stuff like that. So <laughs> The
1: actual Book of Mormon. is yeah. in there.
2: Yes. He wrote the Book of Mormon. The last three <laughs> books. No. Um, it's the part on I'm patience. <laughs> <laughs> and foresight and lightsaber duels. Um, so, sorry to ask, to answer your question, yes, prophecy is definitely important. Because um, uh, e- even so, to the point that when you turn 16, maybe earlier than that, I can't remember the age now, members of the church re- receive what's called a patriarchal blessing, where there's a patriarch designated by the church to give you a a prophecy from God that's supposed to be a guideline for your life and there's people who've received patriarchal wow. blessings and they will make life decisions based on that blessing when they got when they were 16 but you're not supposed to share sure. it with anybody
1: so it's almost like I mean, it's like a super intense version of your dad being like no you're going to be a fucking doctor i said you will be a doctor but this is coming from like from the big dad in the sky Telling you like what you should
2: do with your life. And it's also they brilliantly, and this is what Joseph Smith has done from the beginning, ties in Christianity with mysticism. So in that patriarchal blessing, you're also told, hey, you're going to learn what spiritual tribe of Jerusalem you're from. So they told me I'm from the tribe of Joseph. So you go back and you dig into the Old Testament and you're supposed to have the blessings of that house of Israel through your lineage. So there's a lot of... Um, you know, people look for clues of where they're going to go on their mission. You know, the patriarchal sure. say something and they'll speculate. So but again, you're supposed to only share your patriarchal blessings with obviously anyone who is there. Tradition, you usually take your parents, um, siblings, if you're super close. But past that, you're only supposed to share your patriarchal blessing with um, your spouse and your kids and extremely close friends or family. Um, But you can receive personal revelation for yourself. However, unless you're a mouthpiece for the church or a bishop or a stake president or someone who's supposed to act on it, you're not supposed to act on it. So, yeah, there's a lot of trouble with that. When I was growing up, there was a lot of people who'd come to church every Sunday with weird dreams or theories and stuff that they bring up. And that was very discouraged in a public setting.
1: Sure. Yeah. Well, I just want to... It's interesting. And yeah, I guess you... Revelation would it would be a better term or the bright term as opposed to like prophecy, right? Yes. Yeah. That's what... And that's what it's called. Like Joseph Smith has all these... The revelations of Joseph Smith. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to... uh, There's this really great Joseph Campbell quote that I think ties so well into like mysticism and all of this, but it's just... It's really short. It just says, the myth is the public dream and the dream is the private myth. Um, And... Yeah, it's sort of, it's interesting to sort of like feel like you are tapped into something with, that there's meaning um, behind all these little things that I remember when I was like, you know, super deep into Christianity in high school, I used to think that God talked to me through like symbols and metaphors in my life. Hmm. Um, You know, like if I saw birds flying, a certain type of bird flying above me, like in a certain scenario, I'd be like, oh that has like a very, that's a very clear symbol for, for something or whatever. Um, which is, is, yeah, there's some mysticism behind that as well, but. Yeah. Huh. Anyways, interesting. I'm just sort of on a tangent now, but I, it is very interesting to learn a little bit more sort of about, you know, just the actual kind of experience of being raised Mormon and to learn that there is so much, um, I guess, like uh, emphasis on your own like personal relationship to the divine.
2: Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of responsibility that they put on each member, especially the men. From the age of 12 until traditionally 19, you have what's called the Aaronic Priesthood, the Priesthood of Aaron, which is talked about in the Bible. And then in the when you become 19 and traditionally go on your, your mission, or if you join the church after that, you'll probably just get the Melchizedek Priesthood right away. But that's like the top. Level So at the age of 19, you can receive all of the fullness of the blessings of the church. Um, I, I take that back. Until you get married, um, you can do all the, all the temple ceremonies except for that one for yourself. So once you're married and you have the Melchizedek priesthood, that's it. You know everything that the prophet of the church knows other than what they believe he's hearing from God directly. So mm-hmm. there is an early empowerment. And when you go through the temple for the first time, you receive your garments. So they immediately put you in a position of feeling guilty if you're going to leave. And that's eventually what ended up happening with me. I, I got married. Uh, my wife and I have had a civil wedding because her mom was a uh, contemporary Christian, was not having us uh, doing a Mormon wedding. So we waited a year, went through the temple— we, but you what,
1: were still a Mormon when you got married?
2: Yes. So my bishop did the ceremony. and We had a civil wedding, so just like a traditional sure. wedding. So we believed we were married, but not for time and all eternity, which is what you promise in the temple. Sure. Uh, but shortly after that, I was probably only active for three or four years in the church. And then when I was leaving the church, I was faced with the dilemma of being the only member of my church. Or my family to ever leave the church so oh, sure. that eternal <laughs> chain that they build in the temple to make you a family forever here i was faced with breaking it and being Dang. selfish and having all those feelings i was Dang. raised with and they're like putting yeah, that w- heavy. they're putting that weight
0: on you like telling you oh, that yeah. that you're breaking the chain to god in heaven to god damn yeah
2: our family from joseph smith until now you're going to be the first one to break the seal
0: so like being raised with that close of a connection to joseph smith and your family was there an additional weight to that too like was it pretty militant when you were growing up as far as the religion
2: you know my mom is incredible and always super level-headed my dad was a marine and a cop and worked full-time at a paper mill like just the hardest working guy and So he only went to church with us maybe once or twice a year, unless we had like a primary thing as kids or spoke in church. But he was very much like, we're going to live a Mormon lifestyle. I'm just going to drink coffee out of my shop. You know what I mean? Everything else (laughs) he was cool with. My mom, that was her concession. Um, But he was incredible. I mean, he was really cool about it. So he wasn't super militant, but he made sure we, we went to church. I mean bless my mom she dragged five kids to church for however many years and really never complained is is still active in the church she has a temple calling um she's gone on a mission after my dad passed away and it's just like has no judgments against me i've talked to her about my process wow. but she hasn't been the one that's that's been judgmental i had
1: cuz yeah i mean i know a lot of ex mormons are like they're out they're out of the family mm. like yeah excommunicated And that happens. I've had
2: two of my four siblings. I've had severed relationships with because of that time period, and it's not the only reason, but it definitely plays in. You know, there's there was things that were happening six, seven years ago, shortly after I left the church, and. Uh, they were a lot of conflicting things in my family, big family problems. And I would present solutions and warnings. I'd say, you know, I can see X, Y, Z happening with now my brother's ex-wife. And they'd all go, you know, they would dismiss me, dismiss me because I'd left the church. Like if I had, you know, the foresight to leave the church, like my judgment must be off.
0: For sure. They always like tell you crazy shit, like you can always come back to the path of Christ and shit like that. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah, when when we first started leaving the church, my uh, brother's now ex-wife got our address and was sending the missionaries over all the time to our place. Oh, wow, wild! Yeah, that's
1: a lot. That would be that would really piss me the fuck off. Well, it, um,
2: it backfired. We found shortly after that it used to be pretty impossible to get excommunicated or leave the church without them saying you're excommunicated, which is actually. Uh, it's now changed. They they can't say you've been excommunicated if you've just voluntarily left the church. But we found a a form letter that was written by uh, a lawyer because when you if you just send in a letter and says hey I want to leave the church they'll reply to you and say have you read this have you prayed about this have you spoken with your bishop so basically right. the letter preempts all that. Yes, I've read about this. Yes, I know the eternal implications of what you believe this means. Um, but yeah, shortly after my ex sister in law started doing that, we're like, you know what? Fuck this. We're just, and we got it. New Year's Day of 2010, framed it, and haven't looked back.
1: <laughs> Tell me a little more about. Um, well, actually, I just have a quick question—a theological question. Sure, Mormons do believe in like, like Jesus is the number one still but there's just a new under a different take on like a new gospel or something oh
2: uh yeah it's pretty pretty simple yeah jesus is their dude okay uh so church of jesus christ of latter-day saints they believe in a physical three so they other than the the unity they they believe that god elohim is a, a man of flesh and bone that Jesus was his spiritual son, and then when Mary birthed him, he became his physical son. Um, So the Mormons believe you can—spirits can have sex and reproduce in the afterlife. So Lucifer, Michael, Jesus, Noah, all the biggies, the heavy hitters from the Bible we were taught were God's and his wife's, which they don't talk about, but God and Heavenly Mother's Real children. So when he said, my only begotten son, Jesus was what we believed was God's firstborn spiritual child. Right. Um,
1: but then Joseph Smith would have been another one, which makes you like a demigod? No. So Joseph Smith is held in the
2: same right as like if we were living in the day and age of Noah. He is just registered as a prophet. There's a or lot Moses of. Or something. Yeah. Uh, Isaiah. So there's a ton of symbology and statues and adoration there's even a, a song called hail to the man which my wife hated because she grew up a contemporary christian but there is a lot of like demigod like placement uh, or adoration put on joseph smith but got it no we believe he can grow up and go on and become a, a christ of another planet that was kind of his prediction
0: so you can see what's, like, written on those crazy stones he found in shit?
2: <laughs> you have so the the, church, uh, the
0: power to do that?
2: <laughs> so the church says that – I don't know if they say they have them. They said the Urim and Thummim were kept away secret for a long time. But I guess a couple of years ago, someone said that they were
0: going to release pictures of them. Wild. I don't know. Um, yeah. What about, like, when you were growing up, where most of uh, your friends and community all people – that were in the church, or did you have a lot of f- friends and people you hung out with that were not Mormon as well?
2: Uh, I got along with pretty much everybody. Like we didn't have a lot of beef in our town. It was it was small town. It's like one hundred and eighty five people in my graduating class. Oh Real damn! Small. Um, but it was pretty much two thirds Mormon. Uh, a lot of contemporary Christian and Catholic. I mean, other than that, I mean, there was a lot of social back and forth and a lot of like passive aggressive spite. And I can see that like the kids who were the one third outside of the church, there was a lot of opposition. Like they always felt a little bit out of the circle. But I think by the time you get to junior high, high school, that goes away. But it was super tight. Everybody
0: knew fucking everybody. Yeah. And did you go on a mission?
2: I did not. I just had a gut feeling. I was like, "This isn't what I want to do. It doesn't feel right." I had a heart to heart with my mom, and the she's Holy like, "Holy
1: Spirit, talking to you." Exactly. I was yeah, like, dude, that was your
0: calling to no not go. go on that
1: mission.
2: you know. And what's funny is, I told her. I said, "Like, mom, I'm, I'm just afraid. I'm afraid if I go out and do this, if I look back and I leave the church, I'm gonna feel guilty for leading people down a path that I don't believe anymore." And she's like. Oh, for sure. Well, that's a long journey for you. But if you don't think you should go, she's like, uh, I, I was I was driving a truck that my parents had. She's like, if you don't go, I think you need to take your mission fund and go buy yourself a damn car. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, all right, were, cool. That's exactly what I did.
0: Would you say that growing up and being raised religious, were, were, was there a point where you were really into it and kind of like pulling a lot from the the teachings? Yeah, all the time. Like, I
2: memorized uh, scriptures in seminary in high school. I was thinking about becoming a seminary teacher. Um, mm-hmm. I served in positions in leadership in the church a lot. I just—and I sure. loved speaking in church. Like, yeah, I was so, into it.
1: Talk to us a little bit. Yeah, I and I got that sense for sure. Talk to us a little bit about sort of the the untangling process, because it's, it's different for everybody, but— um, it's a pretty, you know, you're shedding some pretty serious skin. You know, I did it from a Christian perspective. I think with Mormonism, it, there's another layer because it's, it's an even tighter-knit thing that you're breaking out of. So I'm just curious, like, how you, you know, how that process begins and sort of where your head is at in terms of, like, as you navigate this, like, gut feeling of, like, oh, shit, I think I got to get out of this thing.
2: Well, like, the... I think like in 08, 07, when Obama started to run, I had a lot of feelings about he'd released a a blog. And I was raised Republican for sure by a Marine, like I said earlier. So it was like – I had socially drifted away like I went from living in that small town to going to Phoenix, Arizona and finding that the horror stories I heard about the gay community and minority, people of color, all of those farces I was told were completely wrong. So it kind of just left me a little bit burnt, not specifically toward anybody, but in the culture I was raised in. Sure. I decided, you know what, I'm going to just approach all of this new stuff with fresh eyes, and eventually, my wife and I just quit going to church every week. It just wasn't resonating with us. And then, in 08, I was living in a suburb a suburb of Phoenix, and uh, got a knock on the door from one of the other church members, who's like, "Hey, brother Neil, I see you don't have a Prop 204, and uh, in your yard, and that was the you know anti gay marriage proposition on the bill that year. And so I actually have some really close friends who were gay and they would like to have the same benefits as you. And then it just spread like wildfire. It it turned into a really bad situation in the neighborhood. My sister-in-law started turning on us. Uh, People were putting those signs in our yard and I was just like, you know what? Fuck this. And it's the, that's the same month. It was August of, uh, I think it was 08 when uh, the, the, I forget the name of the documentary but Prop 8 in California the church was funneling $50,000 a day into Prop 8 throughout the month of August and of course we didn't know this at the time but something didn't feel right with the church and I kind of told Sarah I said I can't align myself with this group anymore I can't do this and then we find out a year later that all that that the church was literally funding fun, funding this hate campaign in California and that they were doing strong arming on members saying well, you paid X amount in tithing last year. We know you can donate X amount to Proposition 8. So it just totally destroyed me. I was like, I cannot do this. I can't align myself with it. So we were pretty public about not wanting to be associated with the church. But we hadn't left the church because, like I said before, the paperwork's a goddamn nightmare.
1: <laughs> sure. But where are you at at this point? Like, at this point that you're talking about, like, oh, wait, like, where are you at spiritually? Right. Like, where did what are your sort of like, you know, personal feelings towards God and faith and um, yeah, anything related to that?
2: I'd always been open minded, even as a member of the church. Like, I loved um, you know hearing about Buddhism. I went to Catholic mass with a friend of mine. Like, I I wanted to learn about that stuff. I've always been drawn to spirituality, but at this point, I was definitely like, all right, I still believe Christ is my savior and my redeemer. But I don't know in what context because I thought this was the purest and most updated form. It's the latest update, Mm -hmm. Christianity 2.0. And uh, so – but socially I couldn't align myself. So I knew – I was trying to look for something that was more Unitarian, I guess you could say. And I stumbled across um, – well – Like four years before that, I saw the documentary, What the Bleep Do We Know? So I'd been kind of open to quantum physics and that sort of string theory. Some of those ideas started hitting me. And then about that time, I got a Deepak Chopra book, uh, Resurrecting the Body, Reinventing the Soul. And it it may be reversed, Mm -hmm. Reinventing the Soul, Resurrecting the Body. But it talks about Jesus of Nazareth and some of the things that he did and then theories about who he could have been in past lives. And then the whole past life thing really – Uh, blew me away i think when i dipped my toes around that same time in some of those ideas it answered a lot of questions i'd had for a long time and so i was kind of riding the fence between the monotheistic christianity frame i was raised in but how do i hold these other ideas in this now i was totally lost this
1: other sort of like eastern new age movement that hit hit america um, and it's, so, it is sort of like an amalgamation of like lots of different things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, talking about like past lives and reincarnation, but also talking about like divinity and like the, you know, the divinity within everybody. Um, and like, you know, sort of like the connecting back to the idea of like everyone being connected and us being all one thing. Um, huh. Yeah. Interesting. I, I feel like I also you know I went through all kinds of stuff like I I definitely when I was like I don't think I I don't think I identify as a Christian anymore but I definitely like was desperately looking for other things to cling on to not saying that that's what you were doing but for me oh it was you know I went through lots of different stuff where I was just like oh okay yeah and 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 not like this is definitely it but I was definitely like craving any other point of view uh, related to spirituality and just sort of soaking that all in, I definitely didn't go the route of like, all right, I'm just like an atheist atheist now and I'll just do whatever the fuck I want. <laughs> right. Never think about this again. <laughs> yeah.
2: I think there's two, peop- two, two groups of folks who leave the LDS church. There's one who do it for social reasons and that's probably the, the most common. You know, brother so-and-so at softball league did whatever as, or even, you know, brother so-and-so has been fucking my wife for five years and they leave the church, right? They don't really explore the side of questioning the spirituality, and then I think there's a smaller group of people who leave the church for theological reasons, and those are the hardest to get back. Like, I've talked to missionaries who are like, well, we saw that, you know, this, this, and that, and it's like, man, I know everything you're talking about. I used to back up your arguments. There's nothing you can say from a theological standpoint to get me to come back. Sure. Sure. But yeah, at that time I was like you, man, exactly, clinging on, trying to figure out, because I had been raised with the the confidence that I had the truth. I had this feeling that there was a truth, and I searched sure. for that. Um, yeah, yeah. Dug around with the Freemasons for a while. Okay. <laughs> and that was a crazy. Yeah. <laughs> this was a crazy night. This was like the most cinematic moment of my life. <laughs> So this is like in tw- uh, 2009, 2010, I think. But we, uh, I got invited to a Freemason Lodge. I had a friend of mine who knew I was interested. He's like, hey, I got an invite. West Phoenix, let's go. What's even crazier is the Lodge Master is the actual colonel from the army that the colonel in Rambo is based off of.
1: Oh, what the fuck? <laughs>
2: Word <laughs> and his name was John in real life, and he was, and that's why they named John J. Rambo uh, John. So yeah. I read up on this guy before we go out there. I was like, I loved Rambo as a kid, so I was thinking, Oh, this would be so cool to meet this guy. But I was really into um, started getting into symbology a little bit before this. There's a lot of that in Mormonism. I started getting into just all these different ideas that it kind of felt like this 2,000-year-old fraternity might be onto something. So walk into the hall, and they're like, hey, you want to check out? Oh, you hear my wife? Sorry, that's her in the background banging a pot and pan at 7 p.m. <laughs> for all the first-line workers. So Hell sorry yeah. about that. Um, no worries. So yeah, we walk in. I knew I was going to meet some of the lodge members and just kind of talk to them. It's like a, an initiatory night. You have to meet the, the lodge members for them to invite you back. So they said, before we start dinner, do you want to go into the ceremony room? And in the LDS church, that's a big deal. Like, you don't just take visitors into a ceremony room. They do do— No, they never—yeah. They'll do, like, uh, tours of the temple, but they don't open that part of the temple on the tour. Right. Shit you not, I walked in, and I've never had a more, like, sober, out-of-body experience in my life from the way the chairs were arranged in the room to what was on the floor the orientation of the walls
1: yeah it's some like magic with a k right yeah i mean there's you know? there's so many <laughs> symbols old
2: i was just like and john comes up the lodge master and he goes you're lds aren't you <laughs> i said you just see it in your eyes yeah he said i've <laughs> i've seen this look a, a lot of times <laughs> and so i'm sitting there faced with is the Mormon church that was founded, you know, 200 some odd years ago at this time a true reestablishment or did Joseph Smith rip off this 2000-year-old fraternity and weave in some christianity with it and that's exactly I did research shortly after this and that's exactly what happened so sure. yeah the lodge for master sure. knew exactly what I was looking at that moment was for sure the the fuck off I, we, I went and had frozen yogurt after that with the folks we were with. I met my wife, told her on the way home. And she's like, I'm so glad you said that. I'm ready to just leave all of that shit behind. So that was an, it's another reason we're approaching 20 years. is We've been on the yeah, same page. Yeah, you guys had
1: this incredible journey together, yeah. which is just mind-blowing and so beautiful that you got to do that with this person that you love and with a true life partner because... For me, I was going through this around you know age of like twenty twenty one, and was felt pretty alone in it. You know, mm. it was sort of just me, and I didn't feel like it took me a while to find other ex members of the of Christianity who weren't just like militant atheists who were still sort of playing with spiritual ideas and um, had an open mind towards I don't know some form of divinity out there, some form of God maybe. Yeah. Um. But. Yeah, I think that that's incredible that, like, you got to go on this <clears throat> this unbelievable transformation with, with your wife.
2: Even more so, she was raised contemporary Christian. One of the things her mother raised her believing was she'd say verbatim, Sarah, no matter what you do, don't ever go through the Mormon temple ceremony. And here she was. Sarah got married to me when I was 21. She was 19. Uh, A few short months after that, Sarah gets baptized secretly in town because we knew her mom would freak out, which she found out that night, freaked out. We had a severed relationship with Sarah's mom for a while. Sure. And at that time, we went through the temple. And so here's Sarah on this journey of, you know, for me, it was normal. It was something I had looked forward to my entire life. However, we get outside the temple and she just breaks down in tears because she realizes— I either did the best thing for myself, ever, or going back to her roots—a fear mechanism. She went back to, "Oh my God, I could have just damned myself forever."
0: Right, fuck, man. <clears throat> so tough, intense. Tough, tough how much journey. the how much the fear plays into all of this when it gets to those extreme levels? Uh, and my brother also- could tell. So some- yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Oh no, um, I just think it's. Also interesting, like Andrew talking about, he kind of went through this alone in some ways. And it's just, it's interesting how many people we have uh, kind of found in our, our music community that are kind of those ex-religious people or these people that have kind of like divorced themselves in some way from religion and whatnot. And uh, I don't know. I always wonder about the, uh, the community being a big part of the draw to like something like that like why people gravitate towards that and they maybe get some some of the community that they're missing out of a church of some sort yeah music
2: and religion i can't think of anything else that brings the masses together you know i mean music festivals and eastern saint peter's square they both look the same from the sky
0: yeah right for sure absolutely and and I would I would say the uh, a lot of people hold their records uh, in the same high regards as some hold their scriptures. So
1: or just the experience of, of going to a concert with a lot of people, you know, especially if it's if it's music that's um, I I guess like a little more ethereal, not necessarily religious, but does sort of like evoke emotions the same way that like you know worship music does, mm-hmm. and it's designed to. And even something like, I'm even just thinking of something like, like take like Alt-J, for example. Um, great songs, like really, really solid, interesting pop music. And like, yeah, people have, or like Boni Vare. Like people go to those concerts and in this group setting, in this communal setting, like they have a, a profound religious experience. And that's maybe not the way that they would, that's not what they would call it. But it is, it is the experience that I had growing up. Like, I know that experience because I had it so much growing up in church. And there's a ton of overlap with, like, that communal experience with a bunch of people that you don't know, but you're all sort of in awe of the same thing and having this, like, same, you know, emotional experience and yeah it's interesting. Music is just a, a super powerful tool in that way.
2: Well and in that right then Andrew, you're a you're a preacher. Like you've had sermons on stage. You've had strangers join in <laughs> to this unspoken thing. So yeah, you've you've spread your gospel
1: Uh Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah dude. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that, but no I, I, I like
0: I like the idea of like when you go to a show and like that that band leader being the person like giving the homily for the evening, you know, it's uh it's cool. Um, so like during your, your untethering experience and you kind of like checking into all these different spiritual realms and whatnot, is there ever a point where you kind of get to just like a fuck God situation where you kind of just like (laughs) abandon all of it and, and get into that type of situation. Cause you obviously, I would assume somebody that mentioned doing, uh, some meditation earlier in this podcast is not somebody that is, uh, not spiritual. So
2: (laughs) yeah, I was never, I never got jaded. You know, I, I just kind of felt like, because I found my release through the theology side of it from, for leaving the church. I was never, I never faulted anyone for staying in the church. I never even faulted my siblings for looking at me the way that they did. But I, so you you, sort
1: of had like a 10,000 foot view where you're just like, I get it. I get it. Like I hear you. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And it's funny you say that I was reading a, a book at the time by Richard Bach and, uh, it's a story about him and his wife in different iterations, uh, uh, in different dimensions, in different scenarios, going through different challenges. And one of the, the chapters is that 10,000-foot view, being able to really step back. Um, and I think at that time, because I latched onto the idea of reincarnation so much, I fell into um, some reading about soul groups and soul progression. So it even got me to the point where I'm like, as much shit as my dad who— I understand as a loving man, as much shit as he talks about my president, and I think he's poisoned by Fox News, he's just not there yet, and it may not be in this lifetime, but the yeah, best thing- He hasn't
1: thing, gotten in line
2: yet, baby. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> what can I do to serve him to at least, and I'm not just saying my dad specifically, but it gave me at that point, like, all right, I could really go off and destroy my siblings- theologically, I don't want a Bible bash. I'm just gonna be better than that. I'm gonna be the best person I can be and show them that leaving the church didn't fuck up my life.
1: Yeah, which is so interesting because it's like that's what Jesus taught. Jesus taught being the city on the hill. Jesus taught being the salt of the earth, you know Jesus taught the importance of like um, doing things not to be seen but just because it's the right fucking thing to do and that people will have an, an encounter with God through your um, through your actions only if you're approaching it in like the holiest of ways which is sort of what you're talking about which is just like I'm just going to do I'm just going to do the best I can to be like a solid person that's true to myself you yeah. know
2: yeah. As a result of, like, that time period, uh, the only tattoo I still have is a congruent symbol. And that was, like, my branding and, and moving forward. Because I would, had worn the, the brand of the church for so long, ever since I had the garments. I think that may have been, a, like, a, a replacement mechanism for me to be like, all right, I'm going to sure. brand myself with something else that I can see on the daily. But it is just that. So it, it can evolve. I consider myself—I don't know. I definitely believe there is something— um, out there, but I wouldn't call myself agnostic. But if I do end up becoming a Zen Buddhist or uh, uh, a strict stoic, I can still be congruent in those things, which is why I thought that would be the, the reminder for me moving on. That's my religion moving forward.
1: Cool. Can you, um, will you just expand on that like a little bit? Yeah. Living
2: congruently, um, is the idea of, there's a lot of compartmentalization in the religious world um, and justification throughout history through religion has caused just so much harm. So it is, if you're a bishop or a pastor on Sunday, you better be that, you know, every other day of the week. So if you, you know, are a Christian, but you happen to work somewhere that doesn't align with your views, or if you're a you know, Satanist, and you work somewhere that doesn't align with your views, change those things. If you compartmentalize your life, you're going to be out of sync with yourself. It's from whatever you consume mentally, physically, the people you're around. If you can align those things with your truest self, that's when you'll be happy. And I I truly believe that after a while, if you ignore those things, the universe steps in and wrecks some shit so you can have some perspective.
0: We've talked about that a lot, I think, on this podcast leading up to this episode. It's just like that the truth will continue to show itself. And sometimes it might show itself in like a fucked up way for you to to understand it. Uh, Yeah,
1: I think a lot of times for people to have that encounter with the truth, so to speak, or that encounter with like who they, their truest self, it requires uh, immense tragedy. And, you know, one of my favorite like spiritual thinkers uh, is Richard Rohr. And he's adamant about like you don't enter into the mature like stage of spirituality until you have like encountered some form of serious tragedy. And I think that that can be the trauma of like leaving, you know, breaking open a worldview and leaving a religion like it it could be that. But um, I I tend to agree with that, um, that I think it's it's really rare that you find people that are. Um, I guess living congruently, um, that have never, yeah, never encountered the universe sort of like taking a crack at them at some point, like you were sort of like mentioning.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's part of the rebuilding process. It's spiritual awakening. Isn't a fun thing. It's a a tough process to go through. These ideas that are introduced to you, they're challenging, and I think that the more you challenge yourself or, you know, get out of that original echo chamber, you know, there's something to it. Again, that's why I think that people can be raised in a family by the same people, and you know, my, my oldest sister is drastically different than I am. There's siblings I have that live by a lot of fear, and some others don't, and I just think that has to do with spiritual progression. Um, you know, the kid who wants to get out of Nebraska and get to L.A. or New York, it's probably because they may have been there before. They're more spiritually advanced and they see what's going on around them. So I think there's a lot of those elements of like, you know, spiritual understanding. That's what I've, I found. Again, it, it, for me, it helps me be more understanding and empathetic of people. And if there's a proud boy rolling down Portland, it's very easy for me to be pissed off at that person. I definitely don't agree with that person. But I also don't know where their souls at. They could be extremely young uh, spirit that lives by fear, and that's all they know. So yeah, I,
0: it's like this idea too that you can you can you can still have love and compassion for people that you don't agree with or don't you know and don't care for what they think.
1: I actually have. I find lately I have the most compassion um, for. these like like for these motherfuckers right now that are like protesting the lockdowns in different states (laughs) oh my god dude like i have so much compassion for them it's what used to be what used to be pity and contempt has sort of transformed into compassion and like a little bit of uh i'm heartbroken for them that this is where they're at that they cannot see the forest through the trees um and like that their opportunity to live a hyper meaningful life is um pretty limited based on like where they're at because if you're 50 years old and you're out here being a fucking proud boy dipshit or protesting against you know this and granted this these are very unprecedented times um but yeah if you're out there fucking spewing nonsense like that and you're like in your Fifties, you're you're pretty much you're locked into that. Yeah, and that's a that's a fucking bummer. And I think that that's a it's also a sad existence compared uh, to uh, compared to something else. Yeah, they just want to be seen for those folks.
0: They just want us to be seen in the shit, doing some nonsense. Yeah.
1: For sure.
2: Yeah, I also think it's one of those uh, events that we shouldn't be surprised. You know, you look at. You, you've got people based on pride that have dug their heels in on so many different things, uh, especially science-driven. You look at climate change, and there's people who haven't seen the change in their climate, and you know, but there's other people who are being impacted by climate change, and it goes back to right. that empathy. Just because you're not a victim of something doesn't mean it's not happening, uh, and it's just an exercise in selfishness. Again. I, I understand the, the frustration. I understand people being afraid and wanting to reopen the economy. But at what cost? I would rather not have that on my conscience. I, like Dan and I spoke a couple weeks ago about this. I want nothing more than to be shoulder to shoulder at the Doug fur with everybody.
1: Yeah. Hell yeah.
2: But until that's safe, I'm not going to do that to anybody because I don't know.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. Just like we shouldn't be surprised that uh, people are still going out in public with no masks right yeah.
1: <laughs> bonkers town well shit man that is a uh that's a really fascinating story and and i had high hopes um for kind of curing your journey but yeah it's it's pretty wild uh i appreciate you sharing yeah man um and yeah just some really really cool nuggets of wisdom and and things that i think i will probably end up kind of chewing on some stuff that you said and and brought up, and I, I think, you know, we could probably go on for hours about, you know, some of these specific topics. Um, but uh, unless you have anything else to add in terms of sort of like your journey with spirituality and Mormonism or, or where you're at now, um, I'm, I'm ready to, to dive into the Bible a little bit. Yeah, I'm good with that too. I would say the only place...
2: I would I would say I've landed now, is being okay with not knowing. I think that's yeah, the most powerful place you can be. And if you meditate without an expectation, none of the ideas that we have of God are true because they're man-made. I think the only place you can know the unknown is to be okay with being in the unknown.
0: Yeah, yeah. man. That's where the magic oh, is. Yeah. The magic is. is in uh, in the unknown.
1: Yeah, I've started to think of God as not just the unknown but the but god being more like a verb of being in the unknown or being or unknowing hmm. like and that's sort of like that's where you find the the divinity uh, um i
0: love uh, that yeah also cool that you just maintain like such a level head as far as being able to like have compassion and respect for you know the people in your family that you may have like have severed ties with because of all this. Cause I could see where a lot of bitterness and resentment could build up from that. And, uh, also, yeah, it's just cool to like, get to hear some experiences and, and in a non bashing way too, you know, you said you're, you're not like yeah. a Bible basher and whatnot. And I think that's, um, I don't know, Andrew and I, I think want to be like respectful in what we're doing here, you know, like we want to point out some, some, some nonsense and and some bogus shit, but like we're doing this to like pull what we can from, from the Bible, from like this more mystical fucking (laughs) new (laughs) agey look at it, but also to, you know, just to hear about people's experiences and whatnot and just kind of identify that, you know, there's shitty people in every group and like some people that practice religion are like really do get the message of just, being this solid human being and being the salt of the earth and the quiet observer and letting everybody experience the journey on their own and whatnot. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, but yeah, man, talk to us about you. We, we asked you what you wanted to, uh, maybe touch upon here and you brought up, uh, specifically chapter 13 of revelations, which is the, uh, the final book in the old book.
2: Thirteen ended up becoming my favorite number because, this, and I was actually named after Luke in the Old Testament, oh, or New God. Testament. I'm sorry, we got no,
1: you weren't. Yeah,
2: <laughs> the the doctor. Yeah, not Luke in the <laughs> <laughs> Old nah, Testament. Nah. Luke doesn't
1: exist. <laughs> no, you weren't. New <laughs> Testament Luke does. Hey, he's a descendant
0: of Joseph Smith. Show him some respect.
1: <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. My bad.
2: Uh, I I love this because it's probably the most. Uh, cinematic uh of all the books but i in truth there's a lot of like deep mormon doctrine that ties into revelation and i loved it because i had an uncle named uh uncle earl who passed away in 99 but he was like he was my mom's youngest brother super versed in all of the scripture bible to book of mormon to everything and we had like the most rad conversations on our like uh Family reunion, camp trips around a campfire. He was like very non-judgmental. Talked so passionately about the church, but he did a really cool job of breaking down what he thought John the Revelator saw in the Book of Revelations. And yeah, because there's some that.
1: serious symbology and crazy numerology and like all kinds of stuff to dissect happening yeah. in Revelations. With almost every verse, I mean, it's really it's wild.
0: Some layers. Yeah.
2: Yeah, as far as like content of what independent researchers and YouTubers and whoever else has put together, I would say theories and breakdown of revelation is second only to content for pornography. There is a (laughs) shit ton of it.
1: Yeah, I bet. What's so interesting to me, going back to that Joseph Campbell quote, um, which was... Let me just pull it up. Where for the the myth is the public dream, and the dream is the private myth. Um, there is a piece of me that reads this that is sort of like, "Hey, man, you're pushing your private myth into the public sphere. Like this might have been your own. Like these symbols might have only been really pertinent to like you as a person. Right. Right. Because it was your personal vision, your dream. Um, and so yeah, it was relating to like your life. Um, that was just like a stone thought that I had, but, um, yeah, <laughs> it's, a as it's a good one. It's a good one. Revelations no. as a whole is definitely a trip. And like I said, as, as I was reading these first, uh, I decided to just read the first 13 chapters. So I had the full picture and yeah, I was sitting there at some points just being like, not, you know, I'm not, there's nothing in here that I'm like scared about, but just the, the imagery and the symbols and everything are like, they get pretty intense They get pretty intense. I definitely uh, started to get a little uneasy.
2: Um, Yeah, and and there's been times in history where some of this has spoken more true than others, and every one of that time period has taken these symbols from Revelation and applied it to their time. And in that thought, like, John the Revelator has been just as accurate as the writers of The Simpsons. Like, you put enough content out, some of it's going to echo true with the future. Like, how many times has South Park or The Simpsons... Predicted some
1: shit that's now come to pass Yeah, no doubt um, So talk to us a little bit about why why chapter 13? Just as a whole um, Like what is it about that chapter that you? That you dig so much just or that you find interesting the I
2: used to have nightmares about the imagery and the first couple um, Verses there uh, I grew up with the King James Version Um, But I said, yeah, and I stood upon the sands of the sea and saw the beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns and upon these ten uh, crowns and upon his heads, the name of blasphemy. Growing up, that was the United Nations to me. I was taught by my father and other people in the church that that represented the the U.N., That the ten What the fuck? Yeah. That the ten horns were different leaders and then the crowns represented all the like UK, Germany, all the ten kings and shit. The royalty on the Yeah. So we were taught a lot of that. I mean, growing up, my dad was a survivalist. I thought it was a normal thing for an eight year old to learn how to shoot a shotgun that year and also learn about nuclear fallout protection. So, you know, it was a lot of that combined with this.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of survivalist stuff uh, in Mormonism, right? Like I also read this book called Educated. I don't know if you've heard of that by Tara Westover. Mm -mm. She grew up basically in a um, like totally off the grid in bumfuck Idaho. And they, this family did, they did everything. Like the dad was a junker, just had a giant junkyard. And the mom did, like, herbal medicine stuff. Of course. Uh, and, the, and turned that into actually, like, a pretty successful business. And, like, the kids didn't go to school. The kids just helped with that shit. And they just sort of learned about... And so, like, this, it's the story of her getting out of the family and, like, ending up a Rhodes Scholar and all this crazy stuff. But the, the survivalist, like, family that she grows up in and her dad being like so keen on the fact that it's just like the end times are now and here's all the evidence for it and this is why we're like stockpiling all this shit and like doing everything that we're doing is because like what else would we be doing right
2: uh, my i learned one lesson my my dad passed away in 2013 and being a survivalist i kind of thought you know kind of jokingly at his services my siblings and i were all like looking at his Guns and everything that day before we went and just all the supplies he'd accumulated. And we're joking like, oh, he never got his zombie apocalypse. He never got his fallout. Sure. But then it hit me later. Like he lived so much of his life in fear and that dictated so many of his hours. And whether he would replace that with a a habit or whatever, like he filled his time based on that fear of these ideas.
1: And when and every day that the world didn't end was a sad day for him, because you know, that's actually what he wanted,
2: right? Yeah, I mean that was he was prepared to. I mean, I'm not joking. We had fifty gallon barrel drums that were full of supplies, buried it in locations out in the desert between our town and other towns. Like we knew where like, we could go oh. hit supply runs, like type stuff. Wow,
1: bro, your
0: dad would have been so fucking hyped right now. He would have just Uh, been like, you see? This is what we were preparing for. This is what's happening. You see what's happening out there? 100%. 100%. 100%. Uh, All these years you thought I was an asshole burying this shit out in the desert, collecting these guns. For what? Yeah, you would have been giving some
1: big middle fingers right now to everyone just being like, boom, I said. I would
2: have heard it. right? Yeah, my mom, I talked to her when, when this first started happening. She's like, you know, this is exactly what he wanted. I can't believe he's not here to see this. Like My Aww. sweet mom. like It like, is kind of heartbreaking. It is wild, yeah.
0: Oh, man.
1: Anyways.
2: So uh, anyway, yeah, so then the imagery, especially in the second verse, talking about the beast, uh, that he was like a leopard with the feet of a bear and the mouth of a lion. It's like, yeah. good hell. So at the time, um, obviously growing up in the 80s, we, my uncle likened the bear to um, the leopard to Africa, the bear to Russia, the mouth of a lion. He's I forget what he said. I think that was Italy or the UK. UK was the lion mm-hmm. representation. And the dragon, the UN, gave him his power and his seat and great authority. So now at this point... We're thinking Russia is going to be in cahoots with all these different representations.
1: And the proof's right there. Yeah, there's a sort of weird conspiracy theory underpinning, like, uh, the fear of, like, a one-world government or, like, almost sort of, like, twist on, like, an Illuminati-type deal, right? Yeah, I
2: mean, I would drive around on the weekend with my dad a lot. There was some period where, out of all three of us brothers, um, my younger brother was really into, like— role-playing games and masturbating <laughs> and, uh,
0: <laughs> still is still is <laughs> no, that shit runs deep <laughs>
2: and uh, <coughs> my older brother just got his license so like he was out doing whatever so my dad and i got to spend a lot of time together so like every weekend we'd either go prospecting or camping and on the way we would listen of these fucking tapes that he had that were i had no idea where he'd got them but he'd pop in a tape and one of them was this guy who was a scientist who worked on the chips that they were going to soon implant into our hands and foreheads. The mark of the beast. The mark of the beast. And so I'm listening to this guy giving a passionate speech to what I now know is the equivalent of a conspiracy theory convention. And as a kid, 12-year-old to 14-year-old, that shit was like
0: terrifying. Oh,
1: God dude, absolutely.
0: Damn. So It's terrifying to me now. <laughs> it I,
2: it is and i'm like so then my then we go out into the woods after listening to was the equivalent of a a horror podcast and we ruminate my dad and i would camp for 3 4 days out in the wood he would teach me how to do you know make survival wicks and shelter and all these different things and it was fueled by us getting amped up on this shit and talking about conspiracy theories that were clearly taking place and John the revelator warned us
0: yeah Damn. Did you uh? Did you enjoy that stuff that he was like trying to teach you at that time? All the survival shit. I loved it. Like
2: we, like I said, we're into Rambo and
1: yeah, dude. That's some next level Boy Scout shit. Oh, that's like some yeah. real Boy Scout shit. It, you know, it is. Yeah.
0: It is. I just was curious. I don't know. Not everybody would be like that. That might not be for everyone. So I was just curious, like if oh, you I were loved it, yeah, fucking there reluctantly, or if you like really fucking dug into it.
2: No, we all had, like, uh, again, Rambo survival knives with the compass, and you'd twist it off, and the matches and everything were on the inside. We had that. We each had pistols. So we would strap up. Like, my dad had a third-class weapons license, so I I (laughs) literally—I don't have it here in my apartment, but in storage somewhere in Portland, I had my dad's rocket launcher that he brought back from Vietnam. So Dang. yeah, it's uh so I grew up with that type of shit. So like Fuck yeah. Yeah, we were strapped up,
0: take over just, the government type shit.
2: Yeah, I mean there was talk of militia. My dad was on um the SWAT team, so all those guys would kind of but it was never like crazy shit. Like they were all ex-marine, ex-army cats, but
1: Right, but after a couple whiskeys, you might be like we could though. <laughs> we could See, we could rocket launch the White House if we really fucking wanted to. This is
2: why it wasn't scary. They're a bunch of Mormon militia guys. They don't drink. Oh, word. So, yeah, they were all a bunch of sober cats who would talk about the Bible and conspiracy theories, and it was safe for me to, to be around. Like, it, it was the perfect right. storm. <laughs> you, yeah.
1: Have to Jimbo worry about, wasn't yeah. getting all sauced up <laughs> yeah. fucking with a loaded gun, crazy and... nonsense.
2: Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Talking about the hooker he buried in the desert. <laughs> <laughs>
0: some righteous gemstone shit dude yeah,
2: yeah exactly <laughs>
0: Hell, yeah! damn that's fucking i can't imagine being like having that type of stuff put in my head at that age of just as far as you like hit you know listen to those tapes of just some Gosh. conspiracy theory take down the government type you know be prepared for the the end times uh, even worse, I remember
2: when uh, Terminator 2 came out on VHS, my dad specifically sat us—I mean, he would bring home, like, Predator and Aliens, so I grew up watching, like, crazy, the cool action sci-fi. But he sat us down like it was gospel to watch Terminator 2 and the scene where the, the, nu- the nuke goes off and, you know, everyone gets burnt to a crisp. He's like, that's what a nuclear bomb would do. And I'm like, as— a kid, your dad intentionally sits you down to watch this thing. It's yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. oh my God, I gotta get ready for this. And then it was shortly after that I had vivid um, dreams of jumping on a trampoline in my backyard and being able to see over the house to the western horizon and see an A bomb go off and like have to
1: Oh shit like
2: run and scatter and go get our shit. Yeah. It was... Fucking
1: rapture. Dude. <laughs> yeah, just yeah, as a totally as a quick aside, I just think I gotta say, not to glob your knob too much here, Luke, but it's such a uh, it's such a testament to your spirit that you were like filled with all of this crazy stuff, the survivalist stuff, the Mormon stuff, whatever, and that like you have found your way to where you are now because. From what I'm hearing, I'm just like, how are you not a survivalist living in Idaho right now? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Everything that happened in your life was leading to you doing that. Or like in northern Arizona or some shit. It's it's really incredible. And yeah, such a testament to like your open-hearted spirit that you are not that. Because...
2: <laughs> yeah. it, the chemicals were all aligned for that cocktail to happen. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. That's actually my... Uh, he, he He's definitely not... A weirdo like this, but that's it. Kind of happened to my little brother. He went on to do counterintelligence for the military. He's now ex-military, living in rural Utah. Like, definitely into conspiracy theories. Was at Gitmo for a while as a security um, agent, and like crazy ass stories. The
1: conspiracy theories are so fun, especially if you are religious or Uh ex-religious, because like going back to this idea of like I have a I have a monopoly on like the secret truth. And that's what the conspiracy theory gives you. Yeah. It gives you this sense, this quiet confidence of like, all you fucking dummies around me, you don't know. You don't know what I know, <laughs> but I know what's really going on here. And I think it's like, yeah, it's dangerous territory, but totally. that's ultimately the allure.
2: Yeah. It is. Yeah. Trying to be in on the know. And then that, it removes that fear element.
1: Yeah, for sure. It yeah. feels, it
0: makes you feel like you have some control or like that you know what's happening. You understand
1: happening. how the, Yeah. Yeah, no doubt.
0: All illusions.
1: All right, well, let's get back into uh, let's get back into revelations because this is this is interesting stuff.
2: Yeah, I'm trying to scroll through chapter thirteen here. And again, the reason we use the King James version is it's what Joseph Smith said was the most accurate.
0: We uh, we refer to that as like the more metal version of the Bible, and we actually have a uh, we have a segment on this show called "What the Fuck King James." That's where we like will read the King James version <laughs> if there's like a particularly uh, brutal part of what we're uh, going through. So it's really great.
2: I mean, we the one thing my family did outside of the church that wasn't like in the bounds of what a good Mormon would do is we watched a lot of rated R movies. Now, if it was like rated R because of sex, my parents would edit it or make us leave the room. But we grew up with like violent action films and my mom was always like well if the bible was a movie it'd be rated r i was like well (laughs) that'll work that's right
0: that's That's, right that's so awesome yeah that's so good
1: (laughs) it absolutely would be yeah for real um yeah and we don't have to go through verse by verse but you know anything that um that you read in here that really like you know that you have interesting thoughts on or whatever, we can we can get into that.
2: Um, yeah, yeah, part of Revelation that I think was interesting is um, some of the quiet confidence as a member of the church is we know that this isn't the end. So there's additional scripture that tells of what happens after. So we believed in the church that everything that happened up to Revelation was absolutely true, but there would be more after that, that the judgment that's described of in Revelation, the heaven, the hell, is kind of the holding room, the, the, the Catholic, you know, equivalent of the Catholic um, purgatory. purgatory. Thank you. So only a very few people would ever go to the place where Satan is, what they called uh, outer darkness. And they would call those people the Sons of Perdition, and you could count them on one hand. So
1: These are all such good metal band names. I, isn't it amazing? The Sons Sons of Outer Darkness, Darkness, Sons of Perdition. Oh, it's brilliant. There ah. was, I there think was Outer uh,
0: Darkness is like an album by Sons of Perdition.
2: <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, you better trademark that, Dan. <laughs> uh, yeah, oddly enough, before I left the church, I was drawn to a guy who was... Uh, an antichrist from the book of mormon uh back in the like aztec uh south american days of the book of mormon his name was Gadianton, and he had a a group of assassins that were called the Gadianton robbers so like when the first wwe game came out that you could customize your own character i was like his fucking name's Gadianton. and then i had like metal face paint <laughs> and all yeah. that shit uh, it stayed with me for a long time like even into the Halo 2 online, and I'd see, I'd hear fucking people be like, hey,
1: are you Mormon?
2: I'd be like, what the <laughs> fuck are you talking? Like, yeah, it was a great name to have. So it revealed, who the fuck
1: else knows about Gadiat?
2: Well, other yeah, they're Mormons. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, of course, you dumbass. Um, so uh, I don't know where I was going with, with all that good shit. <clears throat> uh, yeah, also, we believe that after uh, the heaven and hell thing, that there was another... Uh, judgment after Another that. Another act. Another yeah. act. And that was uh, the very few that went against the fullness of the gospel, that those sons of perdition, they would be cast out of darkness. So it'd be like Satan and his little crew would never touch anybody. And then there's three kingdoms of heaven after that, that you would go to and it will, you would have uh, what was called the judgment bar of Christ. You would go meet uh, Christ and whoever was the prophet of your day and age while you were on the planet So if Joseph Smith was the prophet who opened this um, thousand years, Mm -hmm. then he'd be on the judgment bar with you and so on and so forth. After that, you would decide for yourself. You get to pick which kingdom you go to, but they know you're not going to go live in God's presence if you don't deserve it. So if you pick the first or second, um, they're still better than earth, but the... The, the punishment is you're not living with God and Christ. So in the top kingdom, the celestial kingdom is where God lives and all this stuff. But there's extra— And you got to li-
1: have like a real light soul on the balance to be able to be in the celestial kingdom? Is the sort of like on the day of judgment? That's the idea?
2: You know what it is? It's really encouraging. They're like, you know, doing your basic things. If you're striving to be perfect, even if you're not perfect, that will get you in. Along with, you have to go through the temple and do all those ceremonies and these precursors in the church. However, that can all be done in the afterlife. And that's why baptisms for the dead in the Mormon church still take place because they think it can help people who are over there wanting to do temple work.
0: It's heavy.
2: Yeah. So after all that shit, we pick our kingdoms to get into the celestial kingdom. Like you said, Andrew, yeah, you've got to be doing the right things, striving for the good things. But even that kingdom is split up into three different sections. The only way to get to the top level of the top kingdom is to be a priesthood holding member of the church, to be married. And I I don't think having kids is a strict thing, but it's highly regarded. So there's a lot of things. And no woman can enter the celestial kingdom without having a worthy man holding the priesthood invite her into heaven.
1: Cool. So, when the world ends tomorrow, like it's outer darkness for me, baby. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not a yep. Yep. <laughs> fucked. So fucked.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I'm toast because I used to be an advocate for you're excommunicated. And... Oh, I'm. Yeah. I'm super fucked.
0: That's, uh, yeah. That's a lot of levels to the levels with that. It's situation. Cr- there's, <laughs> there's a lot of heaviness. To the
2: afterlife, and it is focused on still progressing because they believe that our God, Elohim, Christ's father, was a, a savior on his planet, um, which we don't, we don't know the name of it because it's technically not important to us. However, he currently resides on a planet called Kolob that we can't see in our solar system, but it's nearby. oh but
1: it's nearby interesting that's a current this is where this idea comes from this mormon idea of in the afterlife being the god of your own planet it's not that every mormon gets that in the afterlife it's that if you are the highest level in the celestial plane then you would become a god of your own planet and you would have the opportunity in the afterlife to work your way up through the levels through a similar like afterlife version of the mormon church if you had made it to the celestial kingdom,
2: you can't go to the... You can work up, um, but without being married, you can't be in the top place. You, you'll actually be a servant to the people at the very top of the right. celestial God kingdom. has to be
1: married. Got
2: exactly. It. To be able to create spirit children. And we did believe in the oh, church damn. that we had...
0: Spirit yeah. children? Yeah.
2: Oh, yeah. We believed we had a heavenly mother and that God never revealed it to us, so we couldn't take her name in vain.
0: It's actually kind of beautiful
1: wow yeah and is that is beautiful is
0: uh the idea of this you know becoming god of your own planet thing is that supposed to be like a message to like a heaven on earth thing like you're supposed to be able to achieve this while you're here to become god of your own planet by setting yourself up correctly and whatnot or what
2: yeah, so there's three definitive stages to soul progression in the church. There's a preexistence where you were made in a spiritual form by God and our Heavenly Mother, and at that time, you get to. In some, I talked about at the beginning of this. Some people get their patriarchal blessings, and in their patriarchal blessings, they'll say brother or sister so-and-so in the pre-existence before you were born, you chose the family you're with now and they love you very much. So there's a lot of these seeds that are planted like, oh, I'm chose. i lucky enough to have chosen the church before I got here type shit. So yeah, there's the pre-existence. You come to earth through the veil, which wipes your memory. And you learn here in one way or another, if you weren't born in the church— Everyone on earth will have the opportunity to be introduced to the Mormon church. If not, they have a chance in that heaven or hell purgatory Mormon version. They can accept the teachings of the gospel there. They believe that there's actual missionaries in the afterlife, and then that's why all these names start popping up that they've been pulling from records and actually got in trouble with a lot of uh, Holocaust survivor records but they're doing baptisms for the dead for all these names as a part of the sem- uh, temple ceremony so they can get to the highest level of the celestial kingdom. That's what they believe.
0: Yeah.
1: Wow.
2: Pretty wild.
0: For sure.
1: Pretty wild indeed. Damn. Wow.
0: Yeah. I don't know. Andrew and I, we've talked a little bit on here about just like the, uh the, the heaven on earth thing is mentioned a lot in the Bible, but it seems to be like overlooked by like people trying to get, to heaven in this like eternal life thing so i was just curious like how that plays if that plays into like this whole you know becoming god of your own planet if that plays into the heaven on earth thing of just you know i think it does
2: yeah it's like a it's it's actually a very buddhist idea you know the heaven on earth thing be present yeah be present Right. Just do the best, and I. There's definitely no deathbed repentance. The Mormon Church is not one totally of works, but they do believe that faith without works is dead. That Christ can only say so much.
1: Yeah, but I so think much. that that's. Yeah, I think that that's like that feels legit, right? Because if you weren't, if you weren't, okay, like in the very first episode of this, I was. We were talking about Zoroastrianism, um, which is. Do you know about? Zoroastrianism at all?
2: No, I'm not familiar with that.
1: Okay, so Zarathustra was like one of the first philosophers of like the ancient world in like the Persian area. And we're talking like 4,000 BC, 3,000 BC. So this is like proto-Judaism even. It's like, it's before that. But it's the first monotheistic religion is based on his philosophies. And they, their word for God was just like the Lord of Wisdom. And the whole religion was based around like you align yourself with the will of the Lord of Wisdom, which is basically like I, the way that I interpreted it in English was like, you have a higher self that knows what is the r- fucking right thing to do. And you just got to align yourself with that. And that's all it means to be faithful. But the only way that, like, you could prove to be faithful would be, yeah, it would, it would, yeah, it's the. It's the fruits of the of the tree, right? Yeah. Like, if you don't have the fruits, then it's not fucking there. There's no way.
2: Judging by the fruits of their labors. Also, directly, um, I was telling Dan, I like a lot of what Christ did in the New Testament. Because he, he literally said, do as I do. He went out. He worked. He interacted. He was in the thick of it. So much so that he disrupted the political structure and got fucking killed for it like yeah right right he gave so much back to his community that you know it threatened the powers that were there it's like you know anyone with half a brain would know that Christ is a socialist like read oh, the book that's in front sure. of you he's never asked for an insurance card before he took away some blindness motherfucker's
0: yeah. and he's yeah. he's rooted in his shit that's right that's what you should know
2: that's right uh so yeah faith without works is dead it's very much an lds thing so the the you know just the structure itself of serving others and going out and doing the right thing is just it's about being there every day and being congruent i mean it's really a that was a hallmark of the church the word of wisdom everything that the prophets would ask you to do was to be a sure like valuable member of the church every day of the week
1: and it's so interesting, not to go on too much of a tangent, but I just can't help myself. <laughs> it is interesting to think about, for as much as I lament religion and the and the, the tendrils in society and the way that it's sort of fucked people up and, um, you know, like the term of like religion being the opiate of the masses and all these things, like, churches also do an immense amount of good. real Like, truly. Uh, and without them, I question if we like what that wager would be worldwide like if we were to erase religion right now in churches um i question whether or not people would be um banding together in the same way to do good and maybe they would i mean this whole pandemic thing has sort of like opened my eyes to i guess like the way that groups can get together in like mutual aid networks to support their communities. Um, and the, and many communities have been doing that and it's really beautiful. Um, but that's one thing that like, you can't knock any, any church really for that, especially like a Christian church, whether that's Mormonism or Catholicism or whatever, like there, there always is a focus on service. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they do, you know, they, They do harm, but they also do like, yeah, as part of the, as part of the faith, like they do serve their communities and they serve the world in this way that I don't know if other people would be.
2: Yeah, they actually, well, last time I was keeping stats, they were the biggest donator to the Catholic Orphanage Fund. And their idea was, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Let's support them because their system is working. It's doing well.
1: Right. Why start our own? Yeah. Like, Like they've...
2: They have figured it out. Let's do this. And I think, you know, I don't know if it genuinely justifies it or, or how people m- might feel about this if they were um, missionaries who are now ex-members of the church. But even if you don't believe in where they're funding or what they're doing politically, it doesn't matter to the recipient of service at that street level of a missionary on his mission doing what he believes is right and they're just helping somebody out whether they're right. a member of the church or not Like those moments are still real no matter yeah, what. Yeah those
1: are real I will say I think you know I get a little nervous with the Catholic orphanage uh, anything just given the nature of <laughs> oh, the didn't. Catholic church and, and yeah. what has come to light over the last yeah. hundred years. Yeah that didn't uh, age well No. As like you should fine milk <laughs>
2: Well, that was a big belief growing up. It was like, you're either Mormon or you're Catholic because every branch of Christianity is from the Catholic church until Joseph Smith was visited by God, the father, Jesus Christ to reestablish the priesthood. So
1: like from the Mormon perspective, it was like, well, Catholics are like, yeah, they're wrong, but they're, they're the least wrong.
2: We, We would call like Baptist Catholic light. Like it was the running joke that it was like, it's all the same shit. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Sure.
0: I, I And I feel like growing up Catholic, there was like being Catholic. And then there was all the other kinds of Christianity that were like not as good.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, you're, too.
0: you're a Christian. You all line under this Christian umbrella. What I'm Catholic.
1: <laughs> That'd be me. That'd be me, baby. <laughs> yeah,
0: for yeah. sure it's just funny man it's all so fucking tribal to find out that nothing to find out that it's all yeah like all of the core teachings are the same and shit it's just very it's very funny that it's it all just creates so much division and like completely you know everybody buys into this thing that it's not supposed to be about, like, it's supposed to be about unity. And it just creates more and more division with all of the power and whatnot.
1: It's so interesting that Mormonism was has still has such a grip and, like, has millions of members. Right. Because, like, from a Christian perspective, you can look back at... Jesus, and it's like, yo, we don't even know for sure historically whether or not Jesus was a real person. Like, we're pretty sure, but like, it's thousands of years ago. It's a little bit complicated. Like Joseph Smith is like, you can just do some research and be like, oh yeah, he just made some shit up. <laughs> like, yeah, like it's all just there. It's all like out in the open. Whereas with Christianity, like, uh, it's it's imbued with like so much more mystery. Yep. Um, and so it's just yeah, it's fascinating to me that like mormonism has the hold that it does and obviously there's this whole like cultural aspect to it but um, well,
2: well they're providing answers and that's the thing even if those answers may be wrong there's still answers to the questions that the members of the church had so there's a lot of things that like my wife used to ask in the contemporary christian world that the mormon church had answers for right or yeah, wrong that the christian
1: world didn't have yeah, answers for
2: they were bold enough to say oh yeah Well, God lives on a planet, you just can't see it, that type shit, you know what I mean?
1: (laughs) Right. Oh, man. Yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting that they're taking away some of the mystery and sort of just being like, no, 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 this is is how it is.
2: It's a very clear path, and it wasn't something I looked at until... geez, just the last couple of years in my therapy that I never really grieved that process. I mean, that was a real family that I stepped away from. You know, <clears throat> had I been a member of the church when I moved here to Portland, I would have called my local ward and been like, hey, here's the date I'm moving here. And there would have been, you know, 15 guys there to help unload my truck. But, you know, those are things you choose to step away from. Yeah. Right.
1: Right.
0: Instead, you had me unloading your truck. That's right. And I'm not I'm not nearly as good as 15 guys. I'll tell you what. Especially hey, not you were, 1.
2: You were most helpful.
0: <laughs> Can't believe how much stuff we got
2: in your ride,
0: right? That's but amazing. see, you found you found community without it.
2: The it's tribe wild. comes to you. I think if you're doing the right thing, I think that's just why inherently I was attracted to Portland. It just I visited, it vibed with me. I actually had a very resonant past life experience where i had to like pull over the car because i was super emotional and i was like i know i've been here before and sarah and i kind of without talking we're like yeah we gotta move here and six months later we were here yeah man
1: i feel that i had a i had definitely like uh an experience coming to the pacific northwest in general whoa dude are you gonna
0: are you gonna be talking about when you discovered the uh the columbia river gorge
1: (laughs) (laughs) okay let me tell that story really quick because it's actually pretty fucking hilarious so when i moved here um, i had been to portland a bunch before and i'd been to seattle and like again i was just like taken with the area i was taken with the colossal beauty and just there was just something about it that was like i just want to soak it up i just i have to i feel compelled to um so anyways in 2014 i moved to portland and i'm moving from boston and i'm driving my car you know from east to west across the country and so the final leg of my journey is going from east to west through the through the gorge which is fucking incredible if you've never seen it and if you're going east to west it just start it's like you're going through the dalles and you're like man this is cool like this sort of like desert you know high desert vibe whatever it's pretty brown but it's really beautiful and then as you start approaching like hood river it starts getting amazing. Like it's, you know, and anyone who lives here knows like the gorge is a real treasure. But I'm moving to Portland for the first time and I get to Portland, I get to my girlfriend at the time's house and one of the first things I say to her and her (laughs) mom, I'm like, have you guys ever seen the Columbia River Gorge? It's really (laughs) great. (laughs) And they were just like, are you fucking kidding me right now yes dude yes we've seen the columbia river court oh, it's fucking 45 minutes from portland you dipshit <laughs> we've I seen was, it a few I was, times i was so stoked on it i was so stoked on it oh that's amazing uh, but yeah same thing where i'm just like man every time i go on a hike here i'm just like filled with gratitude that i get to experience this level of like Nature and beauty because it is profound and it's amazing. It and is. Yeah, it's humbling. It's a, it's a real gem It's a real gem uh, within within this uh, You know this country and this continent for sure
2: and I was nowhere near an ocean So being near to seaside and Cannon Beach is just a treat for us. My wife's pretty sure she has some Nordic past lives we've had experiences that have just resonated like a gong at the ocean So it's it does her soul good to be out there too.
1: Hell yeah.
0: Yeah, dude. The ocean is just that like undeniable fucking thing. Like it's powerful. It's just, yeah. Just watching the waves go in and out, it's it's too it's too good. You just like yeah, you just realize how fucking small you are looking at that thing.
2: And then you start thinking of the dance of the moon and the sun to make that happen and then you're 6 hours deep, you know.
1: <laughs> For sure. <laughs> There's also the profoundness of the ocean that's just like uh, it's sort of a visual representation of infinity, even though it's it's not. But if you imagine like, you know, the universe is made up of all of these like solar systems and galaxies that could be represented by one drop in the ocean that you're looking at. And that's how big the universe is. Um, And even then you're still missing it. It's, yeah, it's, there's something about it that, like, you don't even have to think of it in that way. I think as a child, even, you know, children, I, I grew up in Southern California, so I grew up around the ocean. I grew up going to the beach as a kid, and I remember, like, looking at the ocean and just being, yeah, like, I couldn't take my eyes off of it. The fact that it just went on forever until it disappeared into the horizon was... yeah. Yeah, it's mind blowing. Your brain can't yeah.
2: comprehend it exactly. You're just like, and people forget too until you get out of the car and get close. You can you can feel that shit like, it just starts to surround your the whole vibe of the beach. Just if you let it, can take over your body. It makes you feel super sure. small.
1: Yeah, well, that's why I love doing mushrooms at the beach. Hmm. because uh, the ocean and that horizon, um, and that the energy like what you're talking about like what it invokes in you is is incredibly profound just on its own. And then you add this, like, sort of, you know, what I consider to be this sort of sacred element of this plant medicine. And, yeah, you're in for a fucking journey (laughs) Yeah,
2: quite a canvas to paint on.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
2: (laughs) Just blow the roof off that thing,
0: man. (laughs) Blow it off! Um... So this thing just kind of wraps with the mark of the devil and whatnot right on um what is do either of you have like what that like what the symbolism is there or like what that reflects internally as far as what they're talking about there
1: that six 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 yeah. The Freemasons know which Luke. I'm. am assuming at this point you're a Freemason of the highest order, and you don't <laughs> talk about it. <laughs> but you can. You can let us oh, in yeah. on uh, what this six 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 is all about.
2: Well, obviously, like it was a representation of the devil, I believe, growing up. But later on, there was a group of folks that would meet in private, away from the church great thinkers and they used 666 to represent man and the power of man and so it got a lot of symbols at the time were twisted by the roman catholic church to induce fear and to demonize certain groups and that was one of them 666 was well if you, i don't know if you've talked about constantine on any of your uh, and the nacy's creed um, no not yet yeah so that that's kind of leans into that there was a lot of symbolism that they got to choose with the Knights of Nacy that they could then spread the information about one of which they had uh, Jesus of Nazareth and two other Messiah stories to pick from that were almost identical. So there was three. Right, so what you're talking
1: about is the Nicene council in like the year in like the 300 AD area that basically put together the Bible as we know it.
2: Yeah. Constantine. Yes.
1: Yeah. They like handpicked all of these books, like Damn what I was talking about with all of the like Dead Sea Scrolls and like, you know, the book of the Judah Gospels. And shit, like that shit was out there and people were reading it. And this council was basically just like, no, nah, we're going to do these four Gospels because yeah. they're consistent. And these other ones are like a little too woo woo for what we're trying to push out to the public. Yeah. Right? The... There's, there's a lot of politics behind it.
2: Yeah. The Book of... uh Mary Magdalene, she used the priesthood, she performed miracles, and was married to Jesus. In the book of Mary Magdalene, which is now definitely one of the Gnostic Gospels, they were like, right. this cannot be in there. Yeah, they removed all type of anything that wasn't a control mechanism.
1: Yeah, because Gnosticism is really just the the definition of Gnosticism is just like knowing yourself, which is a very Buddhist notion, um, and jives very well, in my opinion, with Jesus's teachings, but, um, as a political tool is fucking worthless. So yeah. And
2: the public didn't have access to written scripture for how many centuries? It was only read by the leaders right. of the church. In yeah. private. Right.
0: It's funny that like the, a lot of the church of Satan stuff also aligns with Jesus's teachings totally. as well. It's pretty wild. There's a, there's a really cool documentary called hail Satan that's like pretty recent and i think it blows open a lot of people's misconceptions of what it means to be a satanist and and whatnot it was it was like a mind-blowing kind of watch and whatnot and they kind of speak to like all the satanists being very jesus-like in in the fact that they you know raise their fists to the power and try to you know Try to be very much on the on the side of social justice and and whatnot. It's it's a fucking trip, man.
2: Is this the one with the group in Minnesota that had the Bamafet statue? Yes, it I is. I have to check it out. Dude, I know about that group.
0: It's it's really great and it really challenges um, <clears throat> a lot of the bullshit that's tied into religion and politics and and how much you know Christianity can influence. Uh, politics in certain areas of the country and even to what you were saying earlier about you know the your fellow mormons at that time coming to your door to make sure that you were going to put that that political that prop eight sign or whatever in your in your yard and whatnot you know yep
2: it's gnarly very very surreal
0: yeah yeah um, how should we wrap this thing up, Andrew? Well,
1: that's a good question. <laughs> I mean, I see that Luke just sparked a sparked a blunt, so I don't know if we're quite ready. Oh yeah, um, I mean,
0: we can keep going too.
1: But also, Luke, we you know we want to be respectful of your time. Um, oh, I'm I'm happy to still travel down the rabbit hole. Oh, this so is, okay.
2: This is my third oh, my just... third bleasy tonight and a uh, tobacco free hemperello naked wrap. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Love that. Hopefully, hopefully they'll send it,
0: send you some supplies. <laughs> yeah. That'd be so great if we just start getting sponsorships because of stuff you said on here. Uh, just drop some names, man. <laughs> you know,
1: yeah. That's how you do it. Um, yeah, I, you know, fuck, man. This this whole, I mean, this whole book of Revelation, but even just chapter thirteen, like again, just going through some of this, like symbolism and imagery um like even and we're you know because we barely got through this fucking thing um but talking about like the beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise his authority for 42 months um and just that number like there's these numbers that they throw out the number seven the number 10 now like 42 um it's interesting because, like, you're talking earlier about how Joseph Smith basically just, like, hodgepodge, quilted together some shit. And, and in a pretty studied way, to oh, yeah. his credit. Absolutely. You know, in a very studied way, uh, quilted together something that's, like, pretty coherent and compelling. Um, but, but also, like, we're so far removed from this writing that's almost 2,000 years old, like this is also a quilting together of like a lot of different shit of the ancient world. Yeah. Good call. Right? Like all of these, all of this numerology, all of this, all of these symbols, like they are, they are borrowed in a lot of ways, like are borrowed from many other areas as well. Um, which is very interesting to consider and sort of ties into this like idea of you know, that like Joseph Campbell talk about and like Carl Jung of um, cultural archetypes and you know these things that are like in our collective unconscious that are just going to like make their mark on our lives and become known to us. Um, and so yeah I thought it was interesting. I just drawing that parallel again yeah. my my edible is like is hitting <laughs> hard right now. So I'm you sound coherent.
2: No you're you're doing good man. Uh, yeah I think adding to address part of that numbers, it's probably the most definitive part of the Bible because there's a proclamation of what Jesus did. So there's a proclamation that the, that the law of Moses was fulfilled and that the New Testament was that of what Christ established, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. So we know these things that happened. This is the Next on whatever the fuck is going on. And so people are still looking forward to this. This is the ninth season of Game of Thrones that never happened for Christians, I think.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there is dragons.
1: (laughs) There's dragons. There are dragons. You're right. But Jesus Christ, it's amazing.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And then coupled with, you know, the LDS side of it, there's I mean, there's. I'm not revealing anything. I I always said I would never reveal my specific experience from the LDS temple. However, anyone with an internet connection can go look it up. It's another reason no brand new religions have come out since the advent of the internet. Like that shit is easily traced back. But there's sentinels at the gates of heaven that there's certain things you have to learn in the temple. And there's certain handshakes and symbols and things you have to do to actually get in. So on top of having, as a priesthood holder, the responsibility to be worthy enough and remember all of my temple ceremony stuff, I have to figure out how to get my wife there. There are certain things I have to do to interact with her from a ceremony perspective. There's so many layers that build up, and a lot of the temple ceremony is the Old Testament. So it's a lot of this fire and brimstone stuff they talk have, Satan plays a big role in the Mormon temple ceremony and they talk a lot about this shit and consequences
1: that's interesting though cuz Satan doesn't really make an appearance until the New Testament right
2: no he's in the garden of eden
1: i guess that's true yeah, yeah. a lot of
2: a lot of the temple ceremony take is the book of genesis
1: Hey, I want to hit you with this, Luke. Yo. Uh, and again, th- this is just like a total fucking tangent at this point, but whatever. <laughs> fuck it. Um, what do you think of this? Like, not. I think it's a Gnostic theory of of the uh, a Gnostic interpretation of the story of the Garden of Eden, where um, Satan is is the actual God, right? Satan is saying, um, the snake is saying, like eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and good and evil so that you can become like a God so that you can understand so you can see things for how they actually are. Whereas Elohim was Satan trying to imprison these beings into a world where they had no understanding of reality as it actually was.
2: I think that that is definitely more accurate of, of the two is that it was a, power move that they chose. I mean, going back symbology-wise, even before that, we all have to ask ourselves, at what time in every culture did the S-U-N become the S-O-N, right? So that power and that symbology of the sun, especially from the Middle East, how it rises and sets in the East around December 25th, is the resurrection story and the birth. It's a really interesting parallel to... The zodiac, so I think the same thing with the Garden of Eden could be totally true. Uh, as Mormons, we believe the the old way, obviously, but of course, yeah, that would make more sense to me for sure because it's that empowerment that always seemed for me as a kid to resonate. Like, what the fuck else are you gonna do? We don't know how long they were in there before right? that happened. Why wouldn't
1: you want? <laughs> why wouldn't you want to know? And I just like I don't know. I feel like having had a lot of psychedelic experiences, to me, like, like mushrooms are the apple from the tree hmm. in the Garden of Eden. Like, they reveal things for what... They reveal reality for what it really is. Um, and, in, hmm. and it's sort of, like, godlike understanding. And that's not to say... Uh, by any means that like I have any godlike qualities because I don't I'm just a fucking dipshit in Portland you know (laughs) on an edible drinking wine talking to you guys Um, but I have had those experiences where I'm just like man this is deeply deeply profound and I'm like there's one moment that I can recall off the top of my head right now that has stayed with me which is being really, really fucking high on mushrooms. Um, and I was with my buddy, Steven, in Thailand. And one of our, like, sort of, I guess, friends from the hostel brings over. Uh, we're at this, we're in, like, a public place. We're just up on a cliff at this bar. Like, we drank these mushroom shakes, and we're looking over the ocean. And so we're just in our own little world. We are, like, really, like, I'm barely, I'm going in and out of my body at this point. I <laughs> are really, really feeling like, it. Deep, deep on the mushrooms, and uh, at the peak of it, I remember um, our our hostel friend, uh, and I guess probably like hostel roommate at the time, he brings over these strangers, which normally I would have been like, yo, no new people to the crew, like I'm on mushrooms, what the fuck are you doing? This guy had never done mushrooms, so he didn't understand, um, but he brought over these strangers from Germ, like a girl from Germany and a dude from Sweden, um, and the first thing that the girl from Germany says was, because um, we were all doing introduction in, introductions, and my, my friend Steven is like, oh, I'm from Wisconsin. And she was like, oh, my God, did you hear about just yesterday there was this horrible mass shooting in Wisconsin? And you would think that, like, that being presented to me super high on mushrooms might just, like, freak me out. Sure. But instead, I just sat there and pondered and was like, "Uh." I mean it's sad and terrible but also like of course of course there was a mass shooting like to me in that moment i had eaten the f- i had eaten the fruit so i just understood why that had to happen and not not to say that like yeah i don't know that's dicey territory but in the in the moment it made sense to me of like why uh suffering exists in the world like I understood why evil was uh, was necessary to exist, so that love could had something to conquer. Um, no, that makes because sense. With, because without yeah, without that duality, um, you know, yeah, then like the light has nothing to shine on. So, yeah, I, I, it was really deeply profound, and I remember like relaying that to the people. Um, that were, that were with me who were not high on mushrooms. Um, and they filmed me, like they filmed my explanation of why, why the world is the way that it is and why evil must exist. Um, and... The reason they were filming me is because they were like, you sound like a fucking enlightened master. (laughs) I was just super high on mushrooms. I don't remember what I said at all. I don't like, it wasn't even me. I mean, I just was like tapped into this fuck. I really think that mushrooms like tap you into something super, super deep and profound. And when I listened back to it, I was like, damn, I do sound like a fucking like Alan Watts right now, but it (laughs) wasn't me. What, like, it's not who I am. It's just that I was like tapped into something. Um, and it to me, what I was tapped into was like that I that I ate I ate the fruit. Yeah, I did it, um, and, and that's then a I, cool I perspective. I got to become like I got to become like God for a moment, um, and and really understand it all.
2: And there's some assholes who have a different experience, and they let the ego take over, and they think they're tapped in and enlightened, and need followers to make them feel a certain way. But if it sure. if done with the right intention, I feel the same way about cannabis. It's the great equalizer. You know, it's the ego remover.
1: Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. For That's sure. That's a really
2: rad experience and to kind of feel like a conduit. It's almost like, well, let me ask you both this. It's almost like writing music, right? Do you feel like when music or something hits you on that level, it's more like, oh, I created this now or it's something that I'm remembering because sometimes I can't tell the difference
1: i mean we've talked about this a a good amount uh both on and off this podcast for me as a a songwriter and, and music creator all of the best shit that i've ever written all my personal favorite stuff that i've written always feels like it just comes to me and i've never thought about it luke as like a possible like remembrance of something I've always just sort of thought of it as, like, that's that weird, like, divine intervention. I'm, t- I'm just tapped into some creative flow, um, and, and it's pouring out of me. Um, and I think artists of all kinds have that same experience of just, like, the best stuff that you make. It just It just happens to you in a way where, like, you are the conduit. Because the stuff that I, I am a studied musician, I know how to make music, so I can sit down and if you tell me like, hey, write me like a kind of folky country song about this, I can do it. I can do it. But if I'm just chilling in my studio, dicking around on my guitar or piano, and all of a sudden I write something where I'm just like, oh, what is that? And I start exploring it. And then like all of a sudden a song pours out of me in 30 minutes, like in completion, those are the moments where i'm just like holy shit this song is like fucking awesome and i'm super stoked on it it's never the song that i'm like i'm trying to write a song about this this sounds like this those ones are always feel uninspired yeah always yeah yeah
0: no it's uh that shit's cool when that when it happens even yesterday i picked up my guitar with the intention of uh just you know recording a demo of a song i've been working on on, but I just picked it up and started playing this other thing that and I, and I don't know when it's just happening like that and it just starts to feel like it's moving through you and whatnot and it's just you're experiencing it and it's just pouring out it's a different it's a different thing for sure. I think when you show up for the muse you're granted
2: these things back. You know that's when inspiration comes. It's not always the most convenient but sometimes if you just show up to your creative space and you're open, then some magic can happen. I think just showing up and being there. But also, I think sometimes writing a song is like only remembering the first part of a story. And for me, it feels like memory sometimes, just like, wait a minute, something's here. That's right. How do I get to the end of this story? And the moment I kind of equated that to me remembering things from either a past or congruent dimension... Like it, it really hit home. And then that translated to a spiritual practice I have now of almost like a library rep- repository where mm-hmm. when I go in to meditate, I try to leave the information I'm learning in this life for either the next or a congruent dimension to come in and access as well. And the more I do that, the stronger this progression can become for me. So, kind of, you know, checking in with myself and showing up there. I find when I do that and I show up and I de- deposit the information, I come out and I'm more open, more unburdened, just a lot of those things. But also in, in the hopes that if I am born into another small town in a uh, you know, conservative area with things that don't jive with my soul, that the things I've learned in this life will resonate with me quicker and I'll realize it quicker in the next life. Oh, yeah. That's
1: right, and you'll be you'll be five years old, and you'll be like, "I'm fucking hitchhiking the fuck out of here." Get these Confederate diapers off me.
0: Start, <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> oh my god, that's great.
0: Start understanding those déjà vu moments on another level. You're just like, For I real? have been here before.
1: Yeah. Yep. Fuck yeah, man. Well, shit, that was some that was some cool wisdom. Uh, I appreciate that. Um, that might be a good place to wrap. I don't know, Daniel, what do you think? Luke, what do you think? You guys have anything else you want to say? Anything else you want to add?
2: Um, I'm super jazzed. It's been a it's been a long time since I've talked about this
0: stuff. It's been really nice. Well, you're welcome to come join us anytime you want. I know you're always down to, you know, have a little smoke session. So anytime you want to have a a smoke session and, you know, get wild on some theology, we're happy to uh to have you.
2: I'm down. We can roll tape and go down the rabbit hole. Yeah, uh, I can tell
1: you right now, we you will be uh, a requested recurring guest for sure. Well, I'll uh, be back. This has been a super fun conversation. <laughs> for sure. Um, <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, the only thing I have of note is, you know, chapter 13, verse 9. He who has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity he will go. If anyone is to be killed with
1: the sword, with the sword, he will be killed. So metal. It's super metal. It's a very what the fuck King James moment, but it's also just like a, an interesting um, kind of acknowledgement to self-fulfilling prophecies, you know? Yeah, yeah it's weird. Absolutely. That's the
0: resonant truth. Yeah.
1: What did you what did, What was your note on it, Daniel? You uh, you bring this up out of nowhere. You
0: know, I just uh, I just thought it had a lot of the uh, maybe the the internal reflection that we speak about on this podcast a lot. You know, and just kind of uh, about the internal choices we make as far as like he who has an ear, let him hear. You know that that kind of just goes back to like whoever's gonna listen is gonna listen. You know, and you're going to listen to what rings true to you probably and what grabs you. And uh, as far as the going into captivity part, I think that's, uh, you know, that's a dark hole you can take yourself into if you if you choose to. You know, you can induce a lot of turmoil to yourself and a lot of internal darkness going into to captivity and uh, the sword thing. It's a little harder for me to distinguish all of the meaning there. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I thought that was a uh, an interesting spot, that verse 9.
2: Yeah, and, you know, Revelation ends on some happy notes. I think King James Version goes to chapter 15 or 16, even further than that. But, yeah, there's a lot of additions to it, and, and the speculation, I think, is what was always... So interesting to me, but like, yeah, I just think it's the and it was written, I think, before a lot of the New Testament, so it's kind of interesting, yeah. They put it as a bookend, um, uh, because of the unknown, because it was like a coming next type thing,
1: right? So, it almost similar to the gospels being so much about like a prophecy has been fulfilled because of Jesus, this is sort of their way of being like. Yeah, look, Jesus fulfills all of these prophecies.
2: Yeah, this is, thanks for reading. You're now accountable for the things you know. By the way, this is yet to come. Sleep tight. That's <laughs> kind yeah. of the message.
1: Have good dreams. Of <laughs> fucking. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> beasts dragons with 10 heads and fucking (laughs) eyes everywhere under all of their fucking multitude of wings and fucking yeah so much shit there's so much crazy shit it'd be wild i would love to see pendleton ward i don't know if you guys know pendleton ward he created adventure time and he has a new series out with duncan trussell called the midnight gospel which is super dope I would highly recommend the Midnight Gospel on on uh, Netflix. It's really incredible. Um, but he's a great animator, and I would love to see him like animate Revelations because oh. it would be it would be fucking next level. It'd it be really so would.
2: good. I mean, it's a trip. It's the the imagery is is amazing.
0: Yeah, I also read that a lot of people in the East, like with like in the fifteenth century or so, really like didn't fuck with this book, and they. A lot of people rejected this shit early on. So.
2: Yeah, it's not happy-go-lucky. That's a lot of heavy shit to think about.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> For sure. For sure.
0: So, uh, yeah. Think about that, Bible buds. Smoke a joint and think about Revelations, the end times, fucking hunkering down as a survivalist, barren shit in the in the desert. That's right. Uh, yeah, dude. Thank, yeah, we're all just surviving now. Thanks for sharing some stories and you know opening up about shit that you've experienced. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for letting me ramble. Absolutely. Any any time. Uh, we will definitely put the uh, the links in the episode notes so people can uh, follow along with uh, what you do musically or you know just follow your your Instagram there. Your life here in Portland, that. Oregon. And I will put our, our email, our Bible Buds email in there too. If people want to fucking tap in and start spewing their nonsense into this thing, we're we're happy to hear it. We want it. I'll tell you we're what. We're eager.
1: Yeah. We're eager for the emails. Come on, y'all. Yeah, right. <laughs> Take a request <laughs> um,
0: episode. Yeah, absolutely. And uh we'll be back and you know, next Sunday whenever you're listening to this thing with another guest or our continue or our discussion on acts um, smoke pray love everybody
1: bless up <laughs> thanks Luke
0: yeah you bet thank
2: you guys right on yeah